This is Roots on the Road. I'm Bernice Hembry. And I'm Brian Hembry. We have spent the last 13 years touring the country as musicians and the last 11 building Fayetteville Roots, a music nonprofit based in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Some of our favorite moments involve the thrill of being on stage or seeing an artist in concert for the first time. But for us, the most memorable experiences seem to take place offstage, chatting with musicians about their music, their lives, and what keeps them on the road. We love getting to know musicians and finding out just what makes them tick. Together we sit down with artists, either while touring the country in our Sprinter van or when they pass through Fayetteville for a show. Roots on the Road podcast explores artist-to-artist conversations about making a life in music and the humanity of being a touring musician. No topic is off limits. We invite you to listen in. Do you like music? We like music. We bet you like music if you're tuning in to this episode. This is episode four of Roots on the Road with Anna Eggie. Thanks to everyone who has tuned in to the previous episodes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please let us know. Give us a review, send us a note, make a donation. Whatever floats your boat keeps our boat afloat. And we really thank you. Enjoy this interview with Anna Eggie. If you ever find yourself scanning through the dial on your radio, more than likely you will eventually come across an Anna Aggie song. She's released over 12 records. She's in it for the long haul, keeps writing, and keeps releasing. When we sat down with Anna Aggie in January of 2020, she had just released Is It The Kiss. Now in 2021, her new record Between Us is out. The songs in this episode are from both of those records. Can we quiet? I've been living here too. I've been watching. I've been angry like you, and I'd love to be sure. Of an answer, I'd love to be sure. Hello. Hello, Amanda Eggie, to you. the podcast. Yeah, you're joined by your uh, creative collaborator, Alex Spiegelman. Hello. Yeah, would you introduce this guy and tell us how you came to play music with him? Yeah, let's see. Alec, I met through Adam and David Moss, who I was playing with a bunch, mm-hmm. who are now called the Brother Brothers. The Brother Brothers, yeah. And um, they were touring with me in around 2012, 2013. <clears throat> and sometimes they would be off busy with other bands and they would suggest people to sub for them and a couple times they said well you should get this bass clarinet player guy and i was like well what (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how that replaces a fiddle per se (laughs) (laughs) or a cello i don't really understand but then i said yes and um it was a really interesting random barbecue gig that we played it was one of the better barbecue gigs (laughs) that i've played And just, I don't know, I really, well, I remember talking about physics and having a lot of fun connecting with you personally. And then, yeah, we kept playing together and inevitably writing a little bit. Writing a little bit. On Bossa Nova. Definitely, yeah. And then, yeah, and then um, we recorded that song, I'm Going Bossa Nova. And 
really, I loved what happened with that. And um, I was in this place of not really knowing what to do. I'd made a record with Steve Earle, and, and then I made a record produced by myself. I didn't really know what was next. And I just felt like what was happening with Alec and I was really exciting. Yeah. So I thought I'd take a chance and see what happened. It, it, it's a beautiful collaboration. Um, it, it, it seems like that's been the theme of, of your career, this collaboration. I mean, the, the first time we met you was at Folk Alliance years ago in Memphis, and you were singing with Joel Plaskett oh, yeah. uh, on his, triples, his triple record. That's right. Um, and, and I should say, I don't, think it was a, I don't think it was three discs, but every song, the title was three words. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't remember if you sang the whole set, but it seemed like it in my mind, because all of a sudden I was like, Joel, who? We were turned in. Who's yeah. We, we were like, That's, <laughs> we're going to go yeah. see her set later. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So uh, is, that, is that a foundation of, of kind of what you want out of your creative uh, pursuit? You know, collaboration is, is a big piece of it? Well, yeah, I guess it's kind of an extension of connecting which I, and communicating, which I feel like is what songwriting is and performing. I mean, writing is some sort of communication between me and who knows where. <laughs> <laughs> but also then that continuation of reaching other people with that is some sort of communication, you yeah. know. It's some invisible thing that ignites in each listener when they hear something. You know, and something magical happens. Yeah. So that's the beginning. And then, of course, yeah, with people and playing music together and co-writing. And it's just so fun. I mean, yeah. Well, I want to go who knows where. Okay. That, that seems like the place. Um, <laughs> you know, um, so you feel that it's collaboration even when it's just you writing on your own. Mm-hmm. The best ones are like that. Yeah. I'm like the catcher for the for the baseball coming at me. Yeah, and it's just floating out there somewhere in the cosmos, and you're grabbing it, or is it hitting you in the face like a bucket of water, or like a baseball? It's kind <laughs> of like that. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like I'm chasing after something, you know, that I'm just barely close to getting, and then sometimes I feel like it's scratching at my door and like not leaving me alone. Yeah, and I, it's a white tiger. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. I read this book, uh, I think it's called Big Magic, and it's written by uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. Is that her name? Eat, Pray, Love, That Lady. Oh, right. Uh-huh. Which I've never read that book, and I've never tuned into that. But um, the Big Magic book captivated my love, just listening to her talk about it. And it's about this. like As artists, you have this big idea that will come at you, and sometimes it's like a little, mm-hmm. a little paw, and sometimes it's a slap. But if you don't follow it, it will leave you. And it will find someone else to carry its path forward into the world. And that just stuck with me. And I think about it almost every day. Yeah, because really we, ha- we put a lot of import in things. But what are they? I mean, words, they don't hold information. You know, without being able to read it and access it and have it make sense in you. It's just a scribble on a page. I mean, there's no... right. And yeah. some Worth days in that make, thing. it'll make sense and the next day it won't make sense. It just depends on where you are in your life that day or that moment. Yeah, and music even more so. Effervescent. It's just so, I mean, it's just, I don't know, some sort of spirit access thing that's happening. I mean, it's so magical. Yeah, it's a good word. Oh, 
jumped on board with Anna and you were like this is going to be a, wo- a one week run you know with, with this folky <laughs> and now you're in deep yeah I mean well it, it wasn't so much that it was the songs were so good and and it's fun to collaborate with people who are making amazing music so it was a good excuse to to learn uh, like about 20 tunes on on three or four of your records and then kind of show up and knew what I was know what I was doing and then, uh, and yeah, we, we wrote this tune on the road called I'm Going Bossa Nova, and, um, which is what it sounds like. <laughs> and, uh, and I had just recently kind of set up a new studio space in my neighborhood, and so it was kind of a test run of that to make the single. And then that was the test run for a record, which was the test run for record number two. But I'll keep doing this forever. I like this that. Is, this is a, good, this is a yeah. good way to be. Yeah, it's a good fit. I'm going bossa nova, going with the three-piece band. I'm going bossa nova. Um, and when you're not um, collaborating with Anna, you're doing uh, horn arrangements. You're doing production. Yeah, uh, I've done horn arrangements for years, and I've become uh, more and more lately. I'm, I'm producing records for people, and I write songs myself, uh, not just with Anna, but um, and put those out. And I've been in a band called Cuddle Magic for 12 years as a bunch of songwriters, kind of hashing it out and uh, and putting out records. Well, we're here at Folk Alliance, um, and uh, this is it's hard to explain to someone who's never been to Folk Alliance, but it's about 3,000 musicians and music types all in one large hotel. This year just happens to be in downtown New Orleans. Um, but what I love is at Folk Alliance, you anticipate you're going to have the singer-songwriter with an acoustic guitar, but you don't anticipate the singing-songwriting duo with an acoustic guitar, a bass clarinet, and a synthesizer. Uh, there's something pretty magical about that. Um, does that confuse people? When, when, when you, I mean, obviously on the record, you know, some people don't see it, right? So they hear this beautiful, lush combination of, of instruments, but when you actually get in front of an audience, does that confuse people? I think it's exciting for people to see something new. I think a lot of people on the record think it might be an electric guitar or keyboard or something that he's playing. Yeah. But live, I think, yeah, it's something new and different, and they want to know what is that thing. Yeah. I will say, from my own experience, when I see a clarinet or a bass clarinet or any woodwind instrument on stage, I'm like, hell yes, I was a band nerd. I can't believe I'm seeing some clarinet on stage. It makes me want to go home and pull my clarinet out. Yeah, yay for the band nerds. Yes. Yeah. Where would we be? <laughs> I know. You need more representation. Definitely. Yeah, so thank you, Alec, for well, supporting you. and yeah. being up there for all of us. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, Alec, you were full in on school band program? I was pretty active in the school band program. I wasn't full in. I had a complicated relationship with marching band. Oh. Mm. But, uh, but I did a lot of stuff. Okay. You know? yeah. Yeah. Anna, what about you? I went to a private hippie school 
um, and we had a band, but it was started out as four guitar players and soon was an upright bass player, mandolin, and two guitar players. A string band. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And uh, is that how you stumbled into uh, this guitar that you have right now? We, yeah, well, let's see, the band started when I was, I think, 13, and then it, it was my parents' school called the Down to Earth School, and in the morning were the basics, uh, English and math and history and science, and then in the afternoon they had electives in a small town, Silver City, New Mexico. So it was a very small group of kids that went. And if someone wanted to teach a class, they'd come in and offer it at the beginning of the year, and kids would get to vote. And so one year, this guitar maker named Don Musser came in to offer teaching astrology. And a bunch of us hippie kids, of course, wanted to learn astrology. And I regaled him with questions about guitars (laughs) after every class that first semester of my um, junior year. And through to the end, and then that, that summer after that class, he called me up and asked if I wanted to apprentice with him and make a guitar. Ooh. And I was jumping up and down on the phone, so excited. Currently, at that time, I was borrowing my mom's friend's Gibson playing it, learning a John Hyatt song at that moment awesome. <laughs> when he called me. <laughs> yeah. And so I drove out to his little hermit house in the mountains about 30 minutes outside of town every week and worked on this and this is guitar. It. This is the guitar and this is the guitar. Yeah. Did you inlay Anna into the, the fretboard at that time? Or I did. Nice. No, I did that at yeah. that time. Yeah. And then after I moved to Austin, um, right after I got out of high school, I was working at um, a bakery and... I learned. I went to the Bluegrass Jam every Monday at Arts Rib oh, House. Yeah, okay. Fine. And I met Tom Ellis, the mandolin maker, yeah. and he had a company called Precision Pearl Inlay. Yeah. And uh, I heard about him, and so I went right up and I said, "I made this guitar. I did this inlay. Can I work for you?" That's amazing. <laughs> and so I started working for him. Yeah. And that was an amazing job. How many people were working for Ellis at that time? It was just him and a woman named Melba and myself. Wow. So so. Um, Ellis makes world-class mandolins, mm-hmm. um, but really, in some ways, in the luthier world, yeah, his his precision um, cutting. So our friend Baird, who builds instruments in the guitar, I play, oh yeah, he 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 has um, Ellis's Tom Ellis's company. Say it again, Precision Precision Pearl. Precision Pearl cut all of his little intricate Baird mm-hmm. you know, inlays for the headstock. Yeah, but so I mean, he's he's world famous in that respect. Yeah, he would farm out to all the companies that we're not supposed to talk about yeah. that, yes. that do that. <laughs> Baird gave us permission. Yeah, yeah. Baird wouldn't mind. <laughs> and probably not even Tom, I don't know, maybe. So, he, he's just like the kind, such a kind-hearted man, just yeah. a beautiful soul. I did not Amazing know that craftsman. your history. I've never known that about you. Yeah. Hmm. Maker. I love that. I mean, I love making things with my hands because these songs are so invisible. And so rewarding, but also making something that works is also really, it feels really good. I was waiting for tomorrow in the midnight rain. Your velvet boys filled the night. So you were learning John Hyatt on, on your, uh, the borrowed Gibson. What's mm-hmm. the first song you learned on the, on the non-borrowed Anna guitar? Good question. I don't Do think remember? I know. No, I don't remember. 
I do remember thinking it was really not that great sounding when I first played. <laughs> so I was going to ask, like, did it ring out to you when you finished it, or were you like, oh man, this is a dud, what am I going to do? It was like putting on a brand new, unworn leather jacket, you know? It was like, it doesn't move, it's like so uncomfortable and heavy. It, mm-hmm. it felt um, really rigid and didn't have much at all, any warmth or kind of depth of tone. But so it, were you, you just you, were you determined to keep playing it and bring out the tone, or did you want to set it down and start a new one? Yeah, I was determined, also because Don reassured me that you know it was built like a tank. He kept saying it's going to last forever for the rest of your life, and it just to play the heck out of it. And I mean, I sure have. It's really pretty worn in. And I've seen recently a bunch of old pictures of when I first finished it, and this was so white to blonde, the, the top. Yeah, so. it's, I don't think people realize how much the color of a guitar changes. Baird once built this, I think we've probably seen every instrument Baird has built, and he built this one years ago, maybe 2008, mm-hmm. and I always called it Milky White. Mm-hmm. That was its, its name to me. So this this beautiful guitar, which was just creamy, bright, shiny maple. I saw it probably 10 years later, a friend that had it in Illinois or Indiana, and we were touring through, and I couldn't believe it was the same guitar. Mm-hmm. It had changed color and tone, and it was yeah. so different. We'll talk about collaborate. I mean, it's this is so many different pieces of woods, wood, all the braces and all the glue holding it all together and all the finish. And each time you play it, it... it calibrates and resonates slowly more and more as one thing yeah you know and the stuff sinks into the wood and everything just becomes more and more one thing moving with that vibration and the more you you know do that the more it becomes one thing that can sing yeah did you ever get to an anna number two no I love it. It's the one and only. Yeah, but I've talked to him. I've done, well, I, also when I moved to Brooklyn, I started working with another great luthier who primarily does repair, Bob Jones. So I worked with him for a long time. Um, he would always let me go in and work on my guitar there because he has all the amazing tools. But I got to work on some amazing instruments and continue my study. I mean, there's so much to learn, endless amounts to learn about fixing anything. But yeah. It's just, so I just really like being around people like that who, I don't know, he's just like that. He th- it makes me think of that character from 100 Years of Solitude. What is his name? The oh. Anyway, you guys, if you maybe haven't read that book, you're not going to help me with his yeah, name. I'm so sorry. Anyway, the person, the shut-in, who just like makes magic with tools that he creates out of nothing, you know. He's like that. I was running, I was fortune. With respect to your move to Brooklyn, it seems like that was kind of a pivotal, pivotal move, and you've you've stayed there, and that's that's now been home base for well over ten years. How how long have you been in Brooklyn? Mm. <laughs> right after nine eleven, I went up there. Wow. Yeah, I love you. You introduced a song last night, and you said something <laughs> like it was this song about your memories in Brooklyn, and and you as you were talking, you're like, never mind. I am now. <laughs> Telling you how long I've been living in New York and <laughs> long time. Let me just play the song. Yeah, it's a great place. I thought I wouldn't. I thought I'd be there for a few months. I went to work with a manager and just thought I was gonna, you know, go and make some recordings and then move on with my life. 
But I love it. I, and I tried to move away at one point. I just didn't, it didn't stick. I had to go back. Yeah. Where'd you try? I tried to go back to Austin. Mm. But as you know, Austin cha- has changed so drastically every three years. It's almost unrecognizable, my old neighborhood. It's still a fantastic place. Yeah. Um, with respect to Brooklyn, um, it seems as if, you know, Austin is obviously a very creative place, but Brooklyn is, is that on steroids in some respect. I mean, is, is it that creative community, uh, not only in Brooklyn, but across the whole city that, that, you know, in, that lights you up? I mean, obviously Alec, you're, you're there. So, I mean, you know, uh, talk about that. Talk about the creative community in Brooklyn and, and, and Manhattan, if you will, and really all the boroughs. I mean, it's it's across all genres and all practices. I mean, it's the p- amazing puppeteers, writers. I'm thinking. I'm now thinking of the uh, the party that you came to at my apartment, mm-hmm. um, which I which I've heard you uh, heard you describe like uh, Anna's impression of. So my apartment is in South South Brooklyn near Coney Island Avenue, on the way to Coney Island by a little like third run movie theater where you can like see stuff that was out six months ago yeah. for five five dollars and you can rent it there for your kids like you know eight-year-old birthday party or for your 35 closest friends and yeah. a bottle of vodka that's, and yeah. like just give them a dvd and play whatever so that's kind of <laughs> my apartment's annual party like our, our contribution to the social scene yeah. is one of those and anna came to one of those and and was thinking about uh well, I've just heard you tell it so many times. Yeah. I should just let you tell it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like, oh, here's the amazing ice sculptor guy, and there's the poet, and there's the dancers, and there's the, you know, jazz musicians, and there's the, you know, there's the potheads, and there's the, I mean, there was just like every clatch of, you know, creatives. And that was just that one block. <laughs> yeah, well, that was that, was that, that night at, yeah. at, at, the, at the Webster, right? But uh, What was the movie? That's the real question. The movie that year was... Little Shop. Oh, Little Shop, Shop of Horrors. Oh. Yeah. God. But actually, you know, I got to say, we were going to do some songs, and this next song came from that party. Well, that's why we just followed the trail. So, we knew we would get to the to the song. So, I love it. Can you can you paint the picture of of that? You what do you you know? Took this song came from that party. The the line, the the people that we were describing. I was thinking. I was standing outside on the little back deck while everyone was kind of downstairs in the backyard, or below me in the backyard. And I was looking at everyone. I was like, oh yeah, there's there there's that amazing vocalist. Like I mean, it was just all these different people. And then afterwards. I went home, I wrote down some stuff. The next morning I looked at it and was writing, and I was like, there just were no cocaine cowboys there. There were nobody, like, no no freaks on speed with cowboy hats. I mean, I spent a lot of, a lot of time in Texas. So. That's where Austin has it. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> and then I was like, hmm, cocaine cowboys. Yeah. Wow, I like that. Who are cocaine cowboys? And then I just kept writing... Who are those people? Those are these songwriters that include cowgirls that wrote all these songs that might or might not have been on speed for some of that time. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> but so that song, this song was born from after that party. Should we do it? Let's yes. hear it. Right. Let's hear it. Ooh, 
there's like a, a real um, loving lens that you approach that cocaine cowboy with in that song. I mean, because it's really easy to think about the other side, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the negative aspect. But, but uh, the treatment there is, is real positive. Well, I also grew up with that dream of Loretta Lynn and, you know, just writing songs because she couldn't help it and driving around to the radio stations and saying, here, play my song. And then, yeah. boom, she's playing her songs for so many people that sometimes that happens, you know. And just, I grew up real poor and that idea of making something that reaches so many people, yeah. turning rhinestones into diamonds, literally, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, wow. It's like, yeah, striking gold so artistically. Was, it, it is. And, and you know, um, I think you said something like that, like fool's gold, turning fool's gold into, what was the line? Oh, what is it? They can charm you and help you forget. Green cowboys. Making, making fool's gold from love songs in their hand, yeah. heads. Yeah, that's great. So um, when I was a kid, my favorite movie was Coal Miner's Daughter. <laughs> It and really was. We, so that's good. been a subject that, um, of, of the podcast. We've talked to a few other artists where, you know, in my mind, that was the template. You get in the car, you have a stack of records, and you go from station to station, and you just one person at a time hear this record. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even though uh, that's kind of maybe an idealized and nostalgic version for the music world we live in now, that was what she did. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, we're back to that, or at least in independent and folk music, we're back to that, mm-hmm. one-to-one. You know, here's my record, and here's my song. Well, that's, that's definitely what's happening at Folk Alliance. Yeah, it's definitely happening. Entire yeah. weekend, weekend. I mean, is that the template that that you follow? You know, just it's it's, uh, you know, you you one to one, one listener at a time. Well, I think that's really when you see someone's, yeah, I want to say power, but I also want to say soul. You just what what can you do with one instrument and your voice, and do you have something to say to me? You know. Do I get what you're laying down? It's it's intense, and you know it right away, personally, if you if you're like connecting with someone or not. But it's interesting, yeah, because we just did, we went to the AMAs in Nashville and and put together this radio trip coming back to a bunch of stations and went in and played and met a bunch of DJs who all have been doing it cumulatively like I don't know 120 years between them all or something like, oh my gosh, they're all brilliant. lifers you know that's the other thing it means so much to them and all their local community that show that they do every Tuesday or whatever yeah. mm-hmm. that is like deep that is community building like super, du- super duper That's a, yeah. I love that you mentioned that there were some other people talking about how they feel like there's that doesn't exist anymore. Like you can't just drive up to the radio station and go can't in. Drive up to Spotify. <laughs> well, that's yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the, the DJs spinning the Spotify records. They don't exist. Um, I love that. So where'd you go? What was your what was your path? We went to like Blue Plate Special, yeah. and we went to Is Red Hickey still there. She's still doing. Yep, that's she awesome. was. Yeah. Our, yeah. She's amazing. She was our interviewer. Oh, yeah. nice. Right. And we went to um, Johnson City. I can't remember the call letters. W J. My daughter has the sticker on something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, where else did we go? We went to D.C. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, where else did we go? I I am I'm drawing a blank. Excuse was that Mary me. in Richmond? D.C. or oh. is she retired? No, it wasn't that one. Yeah. Um, it, yeah no, I yeah, recall. I know Mary. Well, it was also we played right outside of Nashville in Knoxville somewhere. Well, that was W D V X. Blue plate. That, but the oh, Nashville that. one, 
I don't recall. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember the I can't remember the station. I think there were just four. Yeah, but that's amazing that there's still a station that you can go to and you know pop up and mm-hmm. be there. And yeah, so it was were really you fun. were you playing live on the radio or was it was it an interview and playing the record? I was think it a combination. It was a combination, and half of them were live at that moment, and a couple of them were co- recorded to be aired in mm-hmm. a day or two or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, for our schedule to get through. And was that on a road trip all the way back to Brooklyn? Mm-hmm. You drove down to Nashville for AMAs? We flew down okay. and planned to drive back for that. That's awesome. Yeah. What's a year look like for you all? I mean, uh, you know, how many gigs are you doing? And, and are you flying in? Are you traveling over the road? You know, is it a mix? We have a bunch of shows coming up with Iris DeMint. I've also, like, brought her in on this record, which is freaking awesome. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, be still my heart. <laughs> Oh, yes. so good. I sent her my cassette back in 94, my first cassette. And then she invited me out on tour in 98 or 7. And off off and on over the years, we've done shows together and stayed in touch. But we got in touch again a few years ago and um, kind of struck up our friendship again. And, yeah, I thought to call her in. She sang on that one, on mm-hmm. Cocaine, and um, on two other songs on the record. And she's just everything you'd hope she'd be in more. She can, she mm-hmm. just blows our mind every time. And then so she just keeps inviting me out on the road. And now Alec and I are, have been, you know, kind of absorbed into her and being her band for a bunch of her show. And it's just so fun. That's I awesome. I just can't even Imagine. say. That's a we, dream. That is dreamy. And then all of her, you know, all of her wisdom and yeah. and just wisecracks this is the best we have a lot of fun she's played at the festival and I Brian was so sweet he let me be the person to pick her up to take her to her live library the broadcast that we do with our um, our partners there at KUAF 91.3 anyway uh, I didn't have the Sprinter van someone had taken the Sprinter van that was our artist chauffeuring vehicle and I, I had to get her in like 10 minutes and I was a little nervous, like, oh my God, I don't have a car. Someone's going to have to let me use their car. And one of our good friends, being lim- it, uh, oh no, it was Brian Bailey with the mustache. He said, you can borrow my car. And I was like, great. What? Yes. Where are the keys? And he said, it's um, the Subaru. Here are the keys. It's parked over here. <laughs> and I get out there and it's a little tiny sports car, <laughs> two door. And I was like, oh my God, okay, this will work, I guess. And I go and pull up in front of the hotel and she comes out and she says, is this the car? said, yeah, I'm so sorry. I didn't have the right van and I'm having to get you in this little sports car. And she was so cool about it. And she had just gotten out of the shower and she was, you know, looking bubbly and fresh. But as we pulled up and I was telling her what we're about to do, she said, wait, this is a live audience. People are going to be there. And I said, yeah, there are probably a hundred people there. And she said, Bernice, I thought this was a radio show. Like I'm I'm not even really dressed. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be fine. You look great. And she did it. She did a great job. And I cried in the front row the whole time because she, oh, she hits you where some people just don't know how. She's so good. Right? That's the thing. Me too. It's like if I let myself on the road, even the songs over and over every night, if I watch a few in a row, I'm just waterworks. Yes. It's just so deep. So deep. And it just, it cuts in a way that's not, I don't even know how to describe it, but her songs, they get to you. If you open up your heart and listen, oh. She's singing right to your heart. I know. She's so wonderful. Well, and it seems like she's been very generous to the both of you. I mean, to, to you know, invite someone along on multiple uh, opening gigs is one thing, but then to collaborate and, and be a part of her music uh, for the headliner set, that's amazing. 
It was so fun. Did, did that come about, um, you know, night of a show, or did you think about that in advance with her? I mean, she, how did that come together? Well, she, I mean, you know, I think initially she said, why don't you guys do an encore with me? And then it was like, well, why don't we do two songs for an encore? How, why don't we do three? Yeah. And then, well, why don't you come on and do, a, we'll do these songs in the middle of the show, and then this song for an encore, and then, you know, on and on. And then yeah. one song was requested by an old fan of mine, this old song from my first record, Fiero, and she's like, oh, I love that song. Mm. And then the other night in in Phoenix, I just tagged on "You Are My Sunshine" without saying anything, <laughs> and she was like, oh, yeah. "That was fun. Did you plan that?" I'm like, "No." She's like, "Well, okay, this is so great. You know, this is exciting. Just that's amazing. Yeah." Would you play another tune for us? Sure. <clears throat> this is the other single on the sticker that I gave you from the new record. It's called "Oh My My." Oh, 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 oh,
Oh, that's so good. I have two questions. Well, one question, one comment, rather. Are you doing circular breathing when you're holding out those notes? I am, yeah. Oh, man, people, that takes years to accomplish that. I was a, a very interesting kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I studied, um, I studied voice for years. That was my path in life, and which will lead into my comment. But uh, that's something that is like the lure of like circular breathing. I didn't think you could do that singing. I didn't think that was... But I've heard Supposedly, rumors that Barbara Streisand can right? do it, but I'm I don't even it, understand what that would mean. It's I don't the, it's the it. mystery of being yeah. able to, to hold a note but still inhale through the nose yeah. but keep the, the wind going through the vocal cords. That's crazy. I mean, I do it for all the wind instrumentalists that I know. All the action happens on the other side of the vocal cords. Right. So I can't imagine how that would transfer to singing, but, I, but I've heard that rumor. Yes, I have too. I never accomplished it and also didn't spend enough time exploring it. But one thing I love, I, I really visualize when people are singing what is happening inside their their throat and the vocal cords and the air passage and for me that is part of the beauty of singing not necessarily the end result of the note but also how we're making that note is so fascinating to me and you have such a reedy voice and you do a thing that a lot of vocalists I think don't do or a little scared to do and you let that air float where those reeds are vibrating just enough to to make the sound happen and it matches so perfectly with a reed instrument where you can push just enough air where you're getting a sound but it's still just that just a soundscape rather than a full note and you were able to do that with your voice and it was so cool when you guys did that little ditty at the end where you were matching each other oh it was perfect <laughs> thank you yeah great job are you going for that? Are you going for um, two, eight tiny reeds in your in your throat? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but I will say that that's one of those songs that just came out, and um, I heard it like that, and yeah. I, it was kind of like a conversation with myself, like, really? <laughs> yes, really, really. Well, I know. And so then, yeah. Are you talking about lyrically or musically? No, musically, that I was supposed to sing it that high. Yeah. And that softly. And how it necessitated that everything in the recording of that track need to be so supportive of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And kind of what I wanted to do was emphasize that to the, like everything be much more that way, Mm -hmm. airy and spacey. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty fun. You know, instead of like doing other things to fill in around something, it's like, no, let's do a lot more things just like that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Alec, you did a great job. I think it takes a special accompanist and partner to to hear that and be able to do that and not drown it out. It's so fun playing with him too, because he comes up with so many amazing parts. But I also have always like write melodies that I hear as horn parts. Like, and I told him that when I was like, "Don't play, ba 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 ba," and he's like, "Great, like this." I'm like, "Yeah, just yeah. like that." You shouldn't, shouldn't give me too much arrangement credit because so many, so many things you just do, and then my if if I get any credit, it's for not, uh, it's for just transcribing them well and making sure that <laughs> that it lasts on the record. There's a couple of sung, uh, wordless vocal melodies that that we th- both of us thought might have been placeholder until they weren't. Right, that's true. On this new record. But then there's all amazing, oh, all that stuff you 
you wrote for the end of Cocaine Cowboys with the horns and the strings. And, oh, that was oh, fun, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you do a great job of not putting words over that melody, which... I'm just going to lay it out here. Mm-hmm. I hate that bullshit. Like, don't sing na na na's <laughs> to me. Um, people use na na na's too freely when they could put great lyrics there. And I didn't think that once when I was listening well, to that you. whole thing at the end. It didn't even cross my mind. And that's um, saying you do it really well. Thank you. Because we all just want to hear that and live in it. So I think also that song might be a little bit of, you know, as you get older, you're just kind of like, well... I just want to embrace the stuff that I do mm-hmm. instead yeah. of keep thinking I'm supposed to sing louder or, yeah. you know, be more this way or that way. It's like, well, my voice is really soft. It mm. just is, you know. So maybe that's really cool. So maybe I can just even make it softer. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, uh, Take you, that, world. <laughs> Take that. What you just hit on um, can be I'm really, really tough. I'm tough. <laughs> tough with these whispers. <laughs> it can be really difficult at a place like folk alliance and this is not a dig on folk alliance but it, you know it's everyone's trying to be louder bigger bolder you know trying to go beyond their showcase room and filter out to the, the hallway or to the next showcase room to say here i am you know and um at the same time it's folk you know and and so um that blend is always uh, difficult but i think also what makes it amazing you know, I, I tried to describe uh, that it's very wide. You know, what kind of music is here? Everything, you know, um, and, and that's folk, which is great. Um, but how, how does that work for you when you are amongst the noise? How does a whisper come through? Well, I mean, like yesterday, <laughs> the second showcase I did, um, I had them unplug my guitar. <laughs> yeah. For example. Like, I don't, why should I have to combat this thing if my voice is already quiet and I can't stand the way this is being amplified? Just turn it off or I'll unplug it. Yeah. Okay, unplugged. That's how I dealt with that. It's a perfect way to deal with it. And I think it made people be even quieter in the room. I don't know. It worked better for me. Does that filter over into the gigs uh, that you're taking and, or saying no to as well? You know, for sure. As, you, as you've gotten further on your career, you're like, I'm not going to do that gig because... I'm just not going to try to compete. Definitely. Well, and also going back to something I wanted to say about working with Alec, I for years have had a love-hate relationship with with bass, the instrument, (laughs) even though I've worked with some amazing bassists. Mm -hmm. And because I think a lot of the range of my voice kind of ends up in that same spot and Mm -hmm. it gets competitive for the oral space. And no thank you, you know. And But this, the range is so broad, again, and it's not all the time. And, it, and again, in that same interesting way, it emphasized in an airiness that same thing of my vocal quality. So it's almost like, sometimes feel like feels like singing with my sister, because yeah. it matches in that same nice, breathy way in that same range. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't feel that that competitiveness for space with a boom, 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 taking up so much space. Yeah, that was really nice. That's a beautiful way to put it. What yeah. was it? What was it like growing up in a clarinet family? <laughs> <laughs> More like the Von Trapps. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, well, thank you both. I, I, it's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast and getting to chat with you about your music and more so even just being in the same room and, and hearing these songs in this way. It was absolutely a pleasure. Thank you. It has thank been you. a real pleasure. Thank you guys Thank you so very much. much. Um, well, what we'll do is we'll play a long form <laughs> yeah, just collect all of this stuff. I know I should have said Julie, but I, for my 16th birthday, the only time I did acid, it was what I. No, no, it was. It was what I asked for my parents to do acid with me because I was not supposed to do drugs until I mean hippies no drugs until we were 16. Because it was law. And if then right, and if then then we had to ask, and so I asked them to do it with me. And so we did. And my gift from my friend Sally, whose guitar I was borrowing when I got the call about, we were at her house in the country. She wasn't there, it was just my parents and I. And Sally gave me the cassette that morning of the, the first Iris Demand. Yeah. We let the mystery be. Oh, man. You listened to that while you were on acid. And I was like, oh, <laughs> my life, my path is so clear. Like, I was, I had to This interview was recorded in a hotel room at Folk Alliance in New Orleans, January 2020. To learn more about Anna Eggie, visit her website, AnnaEggie.com. A-N-A-E-G-G-E.com. This episode was edited and produced by Josue Garcia at the Roots Studio in Fayetteville. This season of Roots on the Road is sponsored by Tyson Family Foundation, Tito's Vodka, Adventure Subaru, and Experience Fayetteville. Fayetteville Roots is a 501c3 organization with a mission to connect community through music and food. We produce the Fayetteville Roots Festival. Operate the Roots HQ, a historic venue on the Fayetteville Square. We foster support opportunities for musicians and for our music community. And lead year-round music and food programming in Northwest Arkansas and beyond. Learn more at FayettevilleRoots.org.